0: I would rather have a heloc than not have a heloc i would rather have the ability to tap into money versus not and it will allow you to decide to dial in your health invest in your business like if you're not healthy you're not wealthy And it's as cliche as that sounds. It's cliche for a reason. I'm a big, big fan of life insurance when it's set up and used properly, especially if it's max funded, because it just gives you the ability to store your money where it's better. It'll get a better rate of return than like a savings account or a checking account. Hey guys, it's Caleb Williams with me. First off, debt is a function
1: of your.
0: Hey guys, welcome to the Better World Show. This is the very first version of the Naked Numbers edition of Q&A. And we have had an amazing response since just last week, since we just announced to the world that, hey, we want to do Naked Numbers Show and we want you to ask your questions. We've had over 15 people, 15 people um, submit That they want to be on the show, which we're super super thrilled by. We're 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 combing through those applications and we're responding to them. We've had um, multiple people reach out with initial questions, and we're going to continue to grow the show. And uh, it is our hope that each and every week you're going to hear from from me, you're going to hear from someone on our team. We're going to answer your questions and really be more engaged with the current um, current nature of of your questions and what's going on in the world. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring up Joel. Uh, You are not just the producer. You're not only just um, covering all of Better Wealth content. You have to put up with people like myself. You got to put up with people like Dom. Uh, So you are an angel walking, dude. Um, But I'm excited. I'm excited for this format. And I would just love to hear your thoughts. Like, Did you have any expectations? And what are your thoughts as people are asking questions, as we're going to start bringing people on and like coaching them for free? I, I will say this. All these questions... Anytime we do naked numbers, this is not financial advice. I'm just enter- i'm i'm less entertaining than Dave Ramsey apparently. Um, so don't take anything that we say as advice to your personal situation. Even if you ask the question, I I am not able to give you uh, financial advice over a show because uh, there's a lot of nuances in that. So I just I want to lay the groundwork there before we jump in. um, Because I I think it is, we we are going to be rolling up our sleeves. And this is going to be way more personal than a lot of our other content. So Joel, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, I I think the number one thing that I'm excited about all of this is that we're going to be able to directly speak into people's lives more than we already have been doing with our videos, because these are real people. And these are real situations. And the hope is that all of our viewers are going to be able to uh, maybe apply their own situations to these questions and, and get some answers. Yeah,
0: it's it, it's going to be good. What I'm excited about is the conversations. And so here's 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 what I want to say. If you're if you're watching this, if you're a fan of Better Wealth, if you're listening to this on the podcast, betterwealth.com slash naked numbers. Betterwealth.com slash naked numbers. You can apply to be on the show. You can refer to someone to be on the show. Or if you have questions or if you know people that have questions, go to betterwealth.com Naked Numbers and Ask Your Question. The show only is possible because of people giving us questions. And we're, we're going to have a dialogue and it's going to be less scripted. And um, it's kind of how I roll. So very, very excited about it. All
1: right, then let's transition to the questions. And the first one is, what framework do you recommend for determining which source of capital, either cash, policy loans, HELOC, Bank financing, etc., to use when making a, pers- a purchase, investment. or I, a
0: gift. I love this question, and I think again one of the reasons why we want you to be asking questions, and what one thing that we're going to be doing is asking if you want to come on the show. So, if you ask this question and you want to come on the show and talk about it, like I'm again, we want as many people um, having conversations with us as possible. So, if if I were to be speaking directly to you, number one, my framework is very simple. The first thing is what are you purchasing and why are you purchasing it so for instance you you talked about an investment you talked about a gift you talked about an activity so i kind of put it in an activity bucket and say what what are the results of of this activity and like and and what are the pros and cons because i think it's fair to say like every decision you make has pros and cons so the first and foremost i would get clear on what you're purchasing and should you purchase that okay so if that's check number 1 then check number 2 is what is the most efficient way to make that purchase and it, it it's it's actually extremely simple when you break those into what should you purchase and then how do you purchase it versus combining it into one lump you know answer and so after we get clear about the best way to purchase purchase that i'm looking at two things i'm looking at at cost of money so if we're if we're going to purchase that or if we're going to invest and i'm like i'm in then i'm going to look at my funding portfolio. And that's just a word I made up by like the access that I had, like where can I pull money? And I'm just looking at two things the cost and the terms. The cost and the terms. So I'm looking at if I have money sitting in a in a savings account earning right at the time of this recording could be five 4, percent. 4, so I so there's money there and there's opportunity cost if I take that money out. I might have money sitting in a policy and the loan interest might be four or five percent. I potentially have access to uh, a bank, which right now, banks and credit unions, like at the time of this recording, could potentially be higher than a policy loan. But I'm looking for t- for two, two reasons. I'm looking at what the cost of capital, and, and I could easily just say, I'm going to take the cheapest money. I'm going to take the cheapest money. That could even include money in a bank account. But the second thing that you need to look at is you, you need to look at the liquidity that you or the lack of control that you could be giving up if you take that money. So for for example, if you have money in a in a bank account or in a policy, and let's just suppose that you could get a policy loan for 5%. Okay, five percent. And let's also say that a bank could give you a loan for 7%. If all we cared about is the interest rate, Joel, we would take the 5% money. Take the 5% money and it would be it's simple. What I would say is I would be tempted if I'm looking at interest rate and term to take the bank's money at 7% and keep my money liquid in control because I value control more than that 2% delta. I don't know if that makes sense, but in, in summary, and this is where it'd be fun to have people come on and ask their question. If you're, if you're interested, go to betterwealth.com slash naked numbers, comment below. Like we, this is just the beginning of many, I think, amazing conversations, but it's number one, Should you purchase this thing? And sometimes you need an independent coach to challenge you and be like, there's a lot of things that you could do with your time and money. Should you make this purchase? Should you invest? If the answer is yes, then we take a step back and say, how and what is the most efficient way to do that? And I look at opportunity cost, I look at cost of capital, and I also look at the terms and I start putting a value on control. I put a value on liquidity. And for me, that value is super high. So I will actually pay more interest. To retain capital and peace of mind versus the, the uh, the exact opposite. So that's the framework. That's how I would talk through with with somebody. And my hope is that if uh, you were the one asking this question, if you want to come on and and dialogue even more, you're totally welcome to.
1: Is something to give a little bit more context to this. Also, is he's a 35 year old accountant. He's based in Alaska, which is super exciting. That that looks such a beautiful state. Uh, he. Added in, 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 into his question that he's really been diving into the infinite banking concept and he's always really valued the leverage of HELOCs um, and utilizing cash value policy loans, all that kind of stuff. So ever since he's come across the infinite banking concept, his, he said his, his paradigm of, of how he pays for things is completely shifting. And he's feeling like he's unsure of how to make financial decisions because there's so many options almost now for how he can pay for stuff, and so he he really wants to go into the the risk terms, qualification requirements, opportunity cost, and liquidity, to name a few, when he's making mm-hmm. those kinds of uh, of decisions. And so, can you speak into um, the world of HELOC maybe versus yeah. uh, infinite banking and and maybe in your own in your own personal experience, uh, how you determine which to choose for that decision. I know you kind of just went over that, but dive in.
0: Yeah, uh, HELOC is a home equity line of credit, and so what that means is if you own a home, uh, you can get a either a, a second lien or first lien HELOC, and um, what that essentially means is just to make math simple, if you have a hundred thousand dollar home, which probably nobody watching this. There's <laughs> like, well, 100000 that's super cheap. But just to keep math simple, you have a $100,000 loan. And let's say you have, hypothetically, the lo- loan is paid off. But you can take out a HELOC and let's say that HELOC's 50000 just hypothetically. So now you have a home equity line of credit that you could borrow against your home and and then you could use to do whatever you want. You could buy an investment, you could go on vacation. It's the same concept as infinite banking. Because infinite banking, you're funding a life insurance policy. And the life insurance policy is the asset that you're borrowing against versus the HELOC you're borrowing against your home. So there's, there's pros and cons to each each strategy. And I'm a fan of, if you have a home, I'm a fan of looking to see if you have a HELOC opportunity. Because it's like, I would rather have a HELOC than not have a HELOC. I would rather have the ability to tap into money versus not. Um, Same thing with with, um, when it comes to the fact that we can borrow against our life insurance policy. I'm not somebody that says you should do it for everything. I I do not think that's good advice. I think the opportunity you have to access money while you're living in a life insurance policy and, and it not like hurting your, your future benefit of life insurance in the future is like pretty, pretty amazing. And I would simply look at, if you already decide what you want to purchase, one of the biggest things to consider is, should you be making that investment? And that's, um, I believe I know the gentleman that, that, uh, you know, reached out to us and he probably has a ton of opportunities. And so part of the issue is what do you decide to do with your money? But once you decide on what to do with your money, then it's just, The most efficient way to to go about that and um if you're comparing to via heloc or or infinite banking i would just look at the cheapest money because especially i would say both of those from a standpoint if you have a if you have a heloc i don't the hope is that you're not over leveraging and that that the bank could call it back i would just look at what the cheapest money is and i would also have a year at least a year's worth of reserve set aside um because there's a lot of unknowns, and you want to make sure that you can weather the storm, depending on if the investment goes south or, or other things.
1: Right. It, as far this is my own brain going now with this, as far as like a risk assessment, do you think that borrowing against the whole life insurance policy for, for say an investment would be a safer route to go than a it's, heloc?
0: It's it's safer for this one reason: is if you do a heloc. Who, who are you ultimately working – you have to work with, the bank or the financial institution? And so could they make your life more difficult? Could they pull the loan? Could they, if the market drops and now your home was worth 100000 and now it's worth seventy? could that affect the loan? Absolutely. Would that happen with life insurance? No. It's, it's a, so, so from that standpoint, um, there's, there's privacy, but here's my pushback on that. If you took money from a HELOC and kept money in a life insurance policy, and that did happen, what could you do? You could take money from against that life insurance policy and pay off the HELOC. So, I'm a I'm a I think another question that could be asked is how much money should you be, you know, putting out in these alternative investments? And I'm a big big fan of building an emergency fund and a solid foundation. And I think so many people should be investing in themselves. And saving money and they're investing in other things way too soon and they're not maximizing their, their ability and they're creating their foundation has a bunch of cracks because they're instead of a year they're three months away from something being bad and I just think that I think there's a I think from a peace of mind standpoint there's a really powerful thing about having a proper emergency fund and almost everybody that I highly admire and respect they have money set aside that is, um, for that same reason and allows them to show up more powerfully. So for, for the person asking this question, I would just, I would really challenge them to get that emergency fund at a place where they feel really, really good. And then when it comes to what they do with their money after, I would almost look at the cheapest way to access that money. If they've already decided that they're going to purchase, knowing that that that, emergency fund could bail them out. If, if there's something, that happens that the investments go south, like your emergency fund has to grow as you extend and do other things, because it has to be able to keep you afloat, um, as you continue to grow your life.
1: Right. Well, this. So this next question is pretty long and it's a, it's a bit in depth. (laughs) So, uh, pay, pay close attention here. Um, this is from a 30 year old female and she says, hi, Caleb and team. I have a money situation for you. That's why we're here. We are planning on buying a different home next year for around $240,000. And after profits of our current home plus land sale, we will be on track to have around $190,000 cash to work with. Do you suggest we put it all towards the house, hey Dave Ramsey, given interest is 7% or put 20% down and put the rest towards an Airbnb vacation rental? Nearly paying off the house would allow me to work part-time, plus pursue my business uh, and focus on my health. We would be managing the Airbnb ourselves, but it would be great to have a place to occasionally use while also making money. One more thing, and hopefully not TMI, is she'll be contributing towards a retirement, maybe around 10%, so not super aggressive. However, when she retires, she'll be inheriting a multi-million dollar estate and trust. That's awesome. My husband wants to pay off the next house ASAP while I'm on the fence about it. Uh, She's on the fence about it because she said her parents paid off their house too early and they regret it because of the money that they could have made with those funds and and other opportunities. And so she's asking, I want to be a good steward of what I've been given. And I feel like there's a not a terrible choice between those two, so she's really just trying to figure out uh, which of those two good choices. To, amazing, to amazing,
0: and it is to you're choosing between two good choices. And I, I think the world of this question. And um, if you're ever open and want to talk about this question on the show, uh, it would be it would be fun. Like Joel, think about how cool this would be if as people start asking these questions and they come on the show and we have dialogues. How cool! Mm-hmm. Be. It's gonna be. It's I, gonna I literally be get. Goosebumps because I know like <laughs> the ripple effect that this is going to have. Um, here's here's go to the description. Yeah, yeah, go, go to the, to the description. description. Go, so slash make it numbers Go apply, ask your question, and we're just th- we're just excited. I want to thank everyone that um was the first to ask the question and apply to be on the show. It's yeah. it's really really cool. So um, here's here's what I would say. Um, there's a lot of moving pieces here. One thing that I want to go back to is they said something about if they paid off the yeah. home. Yes. It would okay. allow her to start her own business. Do you want to reread that or. Okay.
1: So she said, uh, given interest is 7%, uh, put 20% down, um, and put the rest towards an Airbnb vacation rental, nearly paying off the house would allow me to work part time. Plus pursue my business LLC and focus on my health. Okay. So, it,
0: so yeah. he- here's what I'll say is focus on, focusing on your business and your health you're not going to see me tell you to not like i that goes before a lot of financial decisions so what i would challenge what i would challenge you is why is why is paying off the home the only scenario to allowing you to purchase start your business and focus on your health. And I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to play out a crazy scenario, but hear me out. What if you took 20% of the your the home that you're going to buy, which is 240,000? Um what if you did 20% of that, which, you know, back of the napkin is like 48,000? And what if you put that 20% down and instead of going and buying an Airbnb, what if you put that in a side account, like I say high yield savings account? And like, what if that just paid, like, that just paid the payments on a $240,000 home, which is like not expensive, not expensive at all. Like, we could, I I probably should, I could whip that up. Um, Actually, right now I'm just going to do that. So, um, so we're going to get the handy dandy calculator out. And if I do a, if I do a, just, I'm just going to do a $200,000 loan. So I'm just going to assume, Joel, that there's $10,000 of closing cost over 360 months at 7% interest rate, which I think we could do better. That's a monthly payment of $1,330, okay? So I'm just hypothetically saying this. Instead of going and getting an Airbnb, you could put 20% down on the home, put the other money in a high-yield savings account for now, just hear me out. From that savings account, pay $1,330 monthly payments. Obviously, with insurance and all these things, it's going to be a little bit more. But you have lots of months covered. And it will allow you to decide to dial in your health, invest in your business, and it, and it will allow you to do do both. What I'm not a big fan of, is doing an Airbnb at the cost of your health and doing what you really want? Not at all. Like I, I, and by the way, wouldn't be a fan of that, regardless of what you said. Of like, hey, we could do this cool opportunity, this oil and gas thing. Not investment advice. This, you know, this super crypto thing. And it's like, but at, but if we do that, I'm not able to invest. Like, dial in my health and in my business like if there's something there and if like you're working full time and don't want to be like i don't think paying off the house is the only solution in fact i could make the argument if you put all your money in your house and then work like work part time and maybe invest more in your health and stuff like that that could be prop like that could be more stressful because if something happens now you have maybe less money if like something happens to you or someone happens to um your husband now you have this money tied up in a home that bank may not may not want to give you. So so again, Joel, this is like a super long question, but and I'm I'm going to share this and this is again not investment advice and um I would love nothing more for this person to come on the show and we could talk about it. Um but what I would look to do is I would look to put 20% or less down on the home that they're going to move into. Put the rest of the money in a high yield savings account. From that savings account have that pay the bank invest in their health and business and then maybe a year or two from then the business fizzles out they get more clarity on what they want to do that money could then go to- towards the house or could go to another thing um but but again i would i would make sure that like if you're not healthy you're not wealthy And it's as cliche as that sounds, it's cliche for a reason. And, uh, I, that's, that's what I personally would do if I was in their situation. And, um, I don't know if you have any follow-up questions. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces there, but I think there's scenarios out that weren't even part, like part of the initial question. And I just would remove the Airbnb thing right now. I agree with, with her husband, myself, I think there's just too many moving pieces and that could be part of the anxiety. I'm okay paying a little bit of extra interest in the long run um, and for having the ability to be more healthy, pursue my business, work part-time. And I'm just viewing it, instead of having a small payment, I'm okay with having a, big, a little bit bigger payment knowing that I have a hundred and thirty, hundred and forty thousand $140,000 in an account it's kind of funding that and it gives you options and you know joel like i love options and i will pay a premium for optionality
1: right yeah when i was when i was hearing this she was describing this and and there's nothing wrong with it but it was almost like it's only these two options like we can the airbnb is the answer to giving us what we want and when i'm hearing that i'm like especially with Better Wealth, we're all about intentional living and health is a major part of that. And we believe it should be like a super high priority um, for anybody that that we come in contact with. And so what I would say is the Airbnb could become a stressor on its own. I think a lot of people believe it's this super passive thing and and there are ways to create that, but there's so many things that can go wrong with a house on its own. I mean, a house is a major responsibility just because it's an Airbnb doesn't mean that you're void of those yep. responsibilities. So the way I see that is that I think she was thinking it would allow her to kind of enter this retirement type of stage of life to work on her health and stuff. and i I would just say i would I would avoid that risk. Yep. and
0: i the fact that you have a business that you could be doing more in. I would I would be asking you a lot of questions about that and what activities and would, do you need more money or is it just more time? Like I would get really clear on that because I think there's so much cool opportunity out there. And the fact of the matter is is this is the is it is an outstanding loan really gonna be an issue if you're expecting to have a inheritance? Like notice how the inheritance wasn't even really on my radar. But the fact that you are gonna get something in the future makes it even more of like why would you tie up valuable resources and tools in the short term
1: Yeah, uh, we would love to get you on the <laughs> show uh, if you're watching this. And so um I'll be sure to send this video so you Yeah, you see and again, the call <laughs> to action is you watching is, yeah. if you
0: have people that have questions like for the last 6 6 plus years I wasn't doing this um and I just feel really called um to To be talking to people, answering questions, you can see that we're keeping this anonymous unless people want to raise their hand and say, "Hey, I'll I'll come on the show." Um, whether you want me to look at your entire financial picture, we call that naked numbers, or if you just have an individual question, um, come come on, and we're we're excited to have you. So, all right, let's let's go to the next question.
1: All right, so uh, this is from. 27 year old Victor. And he said, he he's fine with not being anonymous. Um, and this was a little bit <laughs> of a funny thing. Cause I, I said, if you want to share anything about your name, age, gender, or whatever it is. And he said, you can tell by my name that I'm a boy and there's only two genders. Um, so <laughs> he wanted, he wanted us to be sure to, to let the people know. Victor,
0: that. I, I appreciate your foreignness. So thank you. <laughs>
1: So he says, hi, I'm from Europe, uh, and I'd like to thank you for this opportunity. Um, I would like to open up some kind of trust for my family to set up a life insurance, um, but I can't seem to find a good source in Europe to make that happen. Do you have any uh,
0: Yeah, so I have a couple questions. And again, it's like, are you? do you live in Europe? Is your family in Europe? Are you a U.S. citizen that's traveling to Europe? But if you truly live in Europe and your family's in Europe, and you have questions about life insurance and trust and taxes, I, I know this, this makes me feel horrible to have to say this, but I would, I don't really have a direct answer for you. And I would just encourage you to find somebody that can, can help you that is familiar with, um, the European, um, tax laws and life insurance. I, I, I know that it's possible, like we have clients actually overseas, but there's some ties to the US. I know that there's life insurance overseas. I don't think it works the same way that life insurance in America or even Canada works. And I don't have a clue about trust um, as it relates to international and wouldn't want to even give, even though this is not tax advice, investment advice, don't have any anything tangible other than. Maybe ask around and and get some people that can help you that are local.
1: So it sounds like you have to have some kind of tie to the United yeah, States. Yeah, if a, you're as a citizen, is that wealthy,
0: meaning you have a lot of money and you have some type of tie, business or something in the United States, life insurance companies will make exceptions. And when I say make exceptions, like they'll work with you. Um, and we've we've have some really creative scenarios where people don't reside in the United States or whatnot, and we're able to serve them. But, but we usually have to work with some of those guidelines and we're doing an American life insurance company. And so there's other benefits to that because these people get the benefit of American life insurance. Um, so there's, there's, there's benefits, but it's, but there's a lot of hoops to jump through and, and, and so if you have follow up questions, you can always reach out to our company. Um, I'm sure there's a way to reach out, reach out. You can set up a clarity call and we want to be as helpful and as possible and connect you with people on our team or on our network that can help you.
1: Yeah, Victor, I would just say if, if any of those things that Caleb listed sound like your situation or sound similar to your situation, you can go to info at betterwealth.com, email us there. And one of our team members that works specifically with life insurance is going to be able to help you better with that situation. Next question is... Another life insurance-related question. We might get into some nitty-gritty stuff here. When a person borrows from their whole life policy, they incur a loan charge. If the policy is designed to produce income for twenty years with no out-of-pocket expenses, how is the interest covered by the loan, and what kinds of stops are there so the loan interest does not overwhelm yeah. the policy?
0: It's a, it's a, it's a good question, um, and my initial Pushback would be if you follow our channel, if you follow what we talk about when it comes to life insurance, I'm not a big fan of selling life insurance from a in loan income, just like an income in general. I think it's going to not match what you think it's going to match, and early on in my career i you know I learned from lots of lots of amazing people and I was like, man, life insurance is so incredible because it's tax exempt cash flow. So it doesn't affect, you know, Social Security. And it's like there's like lots of cool things. And then you look at the nature of like you're continuing to grow with dividends and and you know, it's like it looks really good. And I just realized like, you know, I am on a piece of paper saying like what could happen 20, 30, 40 years from now. And to be honest, there could be lots of changes for good or for bad for not so good, and so I think it's like one of the things that I've shifted from looking at life insurance more as like an amazing asset for retirees because it gives you so many options, including taking a loan from the policy, um, and or it there there's, but but I'm not a big fan of having that be like the end all be all solution. So with that being the context, um, the the answer would be the loan would just assume the interest rate. So it would just assume the interest. So if you were taking a hundred thousand dollar cash flow that you needed, you technically would be taking a loan of a hundred thousand plus interest, and that would be compounded on to your outstanding loan balance and And that each year, if you take out money, that outstanding loan balance is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And your cash value will continue to grow. And the thing that you need to be careful of is just like this. This person asked: is if you do it too aggressively, you'll get to a place where you won't be able to take take out any more loans, or the the loans in general will will need to be, you know, covered, or at least the interest will be covered, or your policy could could lapse, or you know, be at risk of lapsing. Now, every company is a little different. There are companies that we use that have, you know, an over loan protection, which essentially means that you're not going to lapse your policy. If you take loans, they're just, the company's going to be like, Hey, you hit your loan maximum. And we're just like, you're at, you're at a place where you can't take out any more money, but your policy is just going to maintain and it's not going to lapse. And there, those are companies that we like that concept is good because if people do take a, aggressive loans at the end of their life, like it's nice to know that there's some type of protection there. Um, And there's other benefits or there's other options that you could do, like reduce pay up a policy or, you know, maybe work with the insurance company to transfer it into a, into a smaller policy. But the most important thing is working with a financial professional who can take a look at your scenario and really be able to model out. And I'm just not a big fan of playing it close. Like I'm a fan of creating buffer and, Um, I, again, do not think that life insurance in general, whether you're talking about index universal life or whole life, should be looked at as a a retirement asset and maxing income because I think on paper it might look good, but it just, in reality, it does not work the way that people think it does. And then there could be a lot of levers, especially if we're talking about index universal life, that could change that number drastically. And so- I think it's important to know that this is an option. I would not be a fan of people using it solely for retirement income. This
1: next question is from Tony. Thank you, Tony, for submitting your question. Uh, This is a little bit longer as well. Our family is looking to the future, and we would like to learn about the financial tools available to contribute money for our child's future. Uh, The child is currently one to five years old, They don't specify if the child is their immediate family, uh, but the thought being is that they create an account for their future years and their future family and their future retirement. They want something that is tax free, is able to accept annual contributions for a defined number of years or forever, and a financial tool which allows us to control the money to remain away from the child until the child is deemed old enough to responsibly manage and utilize the money? What financial tools are available? I feel, I feel like this is a
0: colleague <laughs> who's like putting a, a, t, a ball on a tee for me to to knock this out of the park as it relates to the and asset and life insurance. But I'll, I'll do my best to ans- answer this. And this is again, Tony, if you want to come on and we talk about this, it'd be it would be a blast to just chat about this scenario. Um, the what you're What you're talking about, and again, this is not insurance advice, investment advice, tax advice, but what you're naming would be a perfect example of when life insurance is set up and used properly. It becomes an amazing asset that allows you to do a couple things. allows you to fund. allows you to continue to fund if you want to or stop funding if you you don't want to fund ongoing for the rest of this child's life or if this child doesn't want to fund after they get the policy. Um, It allows you to put after-tax dollars into an account that, you know, will grow tax-deferred, will can be used, whether it's for education, whether it's for business, whether it's for the first car, you know, tax-free. And then, you know, it gets passed on income tax-free to the next generation. So we think about this as like the college plan that keeps on giving, keeps on compounding. And you can be the owner of the contract. You can fund this Your kid or grandchild or whoever we're talking about can be the insured, which means you have control until you want to sign over control, until you want to sign and make them the owner, which would mean they're now responsible for, you know, paying the premiums. But they also have the, you know, opportunity to, you know take loans against their policy and they're the they're the owner of the policy but you could very much be the owner and they could be in their 20s 30s and they could just go to you and be like hey grandpa or dad or whatnot i i'm i want to use my policy for x y and z and at the end of the day you can like it's a private contract whoever's the owner gets to really be able to determine what that is um i'm a i'm a big big fan of life insurance when it's set up and used properly especially if it's max funded, because it just gives you the ability to store your money where it's better. It'll get a better rate of return than like a savings account or a checking account. It obviously creates protection for for your kid and it's going to continue to grow as they continue to develop. And it just gives them liquidity and options to invest. And I say invest loosely because who knows what the kid wants to do but it gives them the options to say yes to something and really say yes. But, but it will continue to – comp. like you set up a life insurance policy on a five-year-old. Till the day that that kid dies, that, that policy will continue to grow as long as, it's in, as long as it's in force. But from day one, it gives you flexibility to use. So imagine like in high school or college, this, this kid can start using their policy – but they're going to get eighty years of compounding, and you don't have to choose anymore between one or the other. So um, there's no other accounts that come anywhere close to what I think a properly structured whole life insurance policy would give you. Um, Five twenty nine plans are, you know, you know, government sponsored. They give you the tax benefits, but you have to use it for education, and you kill compound when you take that out. Uh, and most people put their money in the market through a 529 plan, depending on your views, that could be a positive thing. That could be a negative thing. Um, you could put a Roth IRA as soon as the, the child has income qualifies. There's, there's a lot of things to be said that you could pay your kid, get a tax deduction and have your kid be able to fund the policy themselves. So there's, um, there's, there's cool things that you could do with like paying your kids and then having a life insurance policy. And technically you could do the same thing with a Roth IRA. And technically a Roth could compound for the rest of your life, but you have to withdraw that money if you use it. Um, and there's really no other accounts that come close. I mean, there's other investments that you could use, but a life insurance policy when it's set up and used properly is the biggest no brainer for someone like this. And we have, Joel, we have people that have insured their 10 year old 10 day old sorry 10 day old so we have we have clients that have insured their kids a couple days after coming out of the womb um and it's pretty exciting
1: as you said it almost feels like this was a (laughs) colleague or something uh but i can attest I don't at least know any colleagues named Tony, so <laughs> I'm not sure sure Tony if you're familiar with our content, but this was a silver platter <laughs> for Killing. And, and, and again, if you um, wanna
0: come on, if you wanna come on and we talk about it, I am all in favor of that. I wanna remind everybody who's watching, um, you can go to betterwealth.com slash naked numbers. The purpose of these segments is to either answer your question or to invite you on and look at your whole financial picture. But you might have a question that you want to come on the show. I'm welcoming everyone, the haters, anyone that wants to debate, like I'm welcoming you on. And I'm also welcoming people that want to go on to our naked numbers show. I think both, both shows are going to be a great, great. um, It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: What I, what I will say is something that I, I don't think at least you mentioned, uh, but something that we've covered is like the Rockefeller method or the, the waterfall uh, method. Do you think in this situation, setting up in a trust would be uh, ideal, especially when he was talking about it being passed on to the kid at the proper time? Because I know you can, like you mentioned, yeah. you can decide when it goes over, but that would require them to be alive. So correct that to me would mean they would have to set up some kind of trust where they would specify specifically yes. when it would go to the kid and how much, and what can be used for all that kind of stuff.
0: For, you uh, for a YouTube video, video editor, you're very wise on these matters. <laughs> and that's just, that's just the Testament. Cause you, you edit all of the videos and you see, it's like, I love when you sometimes comment <laughs> on behalf of ours. I'm like, dang, like Joel is like, he knows this stuff really, really well. Um, here's what I would say is yes. Everything that Joel said, um, is accurate a trust can give you the ability whether you're alive or not to dictate certain things the pros of a trust is what we just stated the con is it costs money and sometimes you're creating more complexities early on so what i would say is early on don't let the trust be the thing that creates friction get these things in place and then if you want to change the beneficiary over to a trust or even change the owner to a trust um when you have it set up properly and you and you have proper counsel on it i think it's great but i don't think there's some people that i know that like want to overcomplicate things way too soon and i'm not a fan of complexity when it comes to anything in your life and i just think the more simple you can build your business the more simple you can build your financial life the better across the board
1: absolutely All right. This next question is from Alan, who's a 57-year-old male. And he says, do you have a step-by-step manual for creating the wealth management framework? If so, what are the requirements to execute the steps? Can you do any of it yourself or does it all require expensive professionals? (laughs) What's an estimate for the expenses upfront fixed and reoccurring of establishing and maintaining that system?
0: That is a great, great question. So,
1: got a five parter here. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. No. Is there any more to that?
1: Just I, I, I was saying like, because there's like, there's like four questions inside of that. So if you need,
0: yeah. To no. I'll just this them, what I'll know. say is if if Alan is willing to come on the show, it will make for a, an amazing, amazing I think segment of of this show. And so let's make sure to reach out and and invite him. But here's here's what I'll say. Number one, um, you can do this yourself. I think if you are someone that's like really keen on, on all this stuff, you can represent yourself just like you can represent yourself in the law. In the, like you don't need a lawyer, right? There are many people that are busy. There are many people that are focusing on what they're doing, and it's either a fi- a super way efficient to hire somebody to help them. Or they're like, I personally will get better results if I hire somebody. So it has it has nothing to do with like, can you do this yourself? Yes. Is it, are there people that build their own financial empires and and manage it themselves? Just like people like build like co- are the project manager on their home as they're um, building it? Yes. So I think it's I think the answer is you can do this, and I'm, I will share with you the steps and the framework on how to do it. And then what I'll say is. That is exactly why we exist for people that are like, okay, I don't want to think about this. Can I work with you guys? And the answer is yes. And I'll can I can tell you kind of the range of what people have paid us to do this and help them as it relates to their system. So, starting with um, the framework, and the framework is really seven seven steps. So we're gonna go through this quick, and hopefully we'll have more in depth episode where we get get through this. So the first step is clarity. The first step is clarity. And this is where a coach is worth its weight in gold. Cause sometimes we are on our, our own little island and we need to be asked what we really, really want, why we want it. And we need to be able to audit our time, our relationships, our our resources, our skill sets, and ask the question, is what I want is what what my God given inputs are and where I'm currently at. Like where where's the disconnect? So we need clarity on where we want to go, but we also need clarity on our on our financial situation and like the gaps of of where we are and where we want to go and like that alone that alone is people spend thousands and thousands of dollars a year just on like performance coaches and that's it's really important to have clarity and so that would be step number one is is ask the certain questions on getting clear and where you are the second the second step is all about cash flow it's my belief it's my conviction that cash flow is the most important financial metric that we use to measure. And one of your greatest things that you should look at is increasing your cash flow and really, really looking at at your cash flow and and figuring out what's your what's your return on time, what's your return on assets, and what's your total cat like just get clear on the total cash flow coming into your household or business economy year in and year out. And just Get clear because if we don't have cash flow, we can't run the system. So get clear about your cash flow. And then the third step, Joel, is your cash flow ratio. So your cash flow ratio is a function of two things it's a function of your money that you're consumed and your money that you're saving. And money is only capable of doing two things. This is another powerful thing that we can dive into. But when you have money, it's only capable of doing two things it can be consumed or it can be saved for a future consumption date. So when we look at consumption, consumption is either spending, fixed or variable expenses, it could be taxes, which is a variable expense, it could be debt, which could be fixed or variable. It could be, you know, spending money on a latte. Well, I'm I'm actually when it comes to consumption, we need to be unemotional. We just need to know that anytime you're spending a dollar, it's lost forever. And so if we know how much money someone consumes we can we can say with confidence that that is their lifestyle so the 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 fourth step i would look at is once i know how much money you consume and save i'm looking first at your consumption and saying all the money that you're consuming is there is there inefficiencies are there ways to be more optimal in where you're at and are we spending money on things that we don't value or we overspending on the things that we don't need if we truly get clear but going back to clarity and what we want are you overpaying on taxes cuz 9 out of 10 businesses are overpaying on taxes hence why we have a tax company and for any of you that want a, a tax analysis you can you know we'll hit see a link below or or reach out to us we can connect you with our team at Deriba that does tax analysis and most people are overpaying on taxes most people are spending their money on things that don't actually they don't need to they're just overspending on things that that don't align with their values and um you know most most people don't have their debt and credit optimized to the level of like you know it's it's working super well for their consumption area so after we talk about consumption then I'm looking at savings and all I'm talking about when I think of savings is it's savings is a verb to hopefully invest invest investing is that Verb of like multiplying your money, and so when I'm looking at when I'm looking at savings, number one, I want to look at your assets already. Asset is anything that creates cash flow and is of value, and I just want to audit your assets and say, of the money that you've currently saved and invest, how are those assets performing? what are, What are the rates of return? What cash flows are is it creating? Are these assets aligned with where you're at, and are these assets the best? for your chessboard to accomplish the life that you want to accomplish. Some people have great quote-unquote investments, Joel, but they're not. it's not in alignment with their personal where they want to go. So I would look at their assets and I would ask some questions and just analyze it. And then I would establish, does this person have an emergency fund? Let's make sure that that gets knocked out because I'm a firm believer that part of the foundation is building that emergency fund. And then everything up above the emergency fund, I think of as an opportunity. And on that balance sheet, anything up above the emergency fund is an opportunity. And we're now looking at where this person should be investing their resources. And this is, this is again, we don't give investment advice based on these stocks and kind of deal, but we're, giving, we're using this thing called investor DNA that's getting really clear about where you're at, the decisions that you make, and what you want, what's your why, what's your sole purpose, and then, what should you be investing your time and money in as a result of that? And I can't take any credit for the investor DNA. I've had so many people come before me that have articulated that better. And we're we're then measuring those assets based on your intentional life, but then also we're measuring it based on cash flow. And then uh, the last one of the last things, number six, is risk management. We're looking at every everything from you know your current is there something that could affect your future cash flow, your current assets, your current liabilities, like we want to be able to protect those basic things. So we'll look at your estate plan, we'll look at your um, you know, is there something that could happen to you that could remove your current or future cash flow? Um is there something that could happen health insurance wise that could wipe your whole financial situation out and we want to make sure that your risk risk management is in place and then from, from a legacy standpoint, this is number seven. It's just thinking with the end in mind and really being like, is are we thinking multiple generations? And so to answer your question is, um, we have a wealth efficiency packet that um, we can have a link down below that gives a lot of tools and anyone can get that for free. And what I'll say is there's some people that can totally be their own project manager on their life and 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 take some of the tools that we have this video and be able to walk them through there's a lot of people though that would benefit conversations with our team and the way that we work with people is i mean there's it's anywhere from a free call to you know you know ten thousand dollars you know plus and, and a monthly monthly retainer to have a personal cfo a coach be able to speak into your life your business track your money and so um if you have a conversation um, and if it's a good fit, you'll we can give you more details. But it's like we we have a lot of opportunities in how we can help somebody. But the most important thing is what's the most important thing for them. And um, in, so I, I I talked a lot, but that's kind of like the way that I would answer uh, an in depth question like that.
1: So like Caleb said, we'll have all the links that he's listed. There's been a lot of material that we've covered. So all that stuff will be in the description. You'll be able to access all of that, all those free resources. um, And so be be sure to go check that out. Um, Also, make sure to go to betterwealth.com forward slash naked numbers, submit your questions. Uh, we would love to get you on the show to speak to Caleb directly about this, because um, a lot of this he's he's kind of filling, trying to fill in the gaps a little bit, and it would mean the world. And uh, he's going to be able to speak into you a lot more if you actually come on the show. So, um, be sure to do that.
0: Yeah, betterwealth.com dot slash Naked Numbers. Joel, is there any final thoughts that you have? As we did the first Better Wealth Q and A show, I thought it, I thought this was a, f- a great first start, and I'm sure there's. Lots more questions and lot more lot more dialogue to come.
1: Yeah, I had I had fun. I'm gonna have to get used to being on camera a little bit more than I have been instead of being in the background. I'm like making sure I don't look awkward. <laughs> but uh this was this was a blast. Keep the questions coming. Um this is gonna be one of the most authentic financial shows you'll get on YouTube. And I promise that Caleb is is here to steer you in the right direction. So this is the place to drop your financial questions at.
0: Amazing. All right, guys. Thank you so much for subscribing, sharing, and being a part of our family. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.